0: many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Children are complex. God's children, too. I mean that in general. Confusing. Oh, sorry. Children's church. I forgot already. Children's church are dismissed. Yeah, Ben does it all all the time. But children are complex, confusing and wonderful and irritating creatures sometimes. There are some times when your kids do something right and as a parent you are so proud you're about to burst your buttons off your shirt. And then there are times that you, when anything and everything they do or say is wrong and you nearly want to hang them from their toenails and have a better understanding of why some animals eat their young Oftentimes, the good is followed by the bad with just within 10 or 15 minutes of each other. It se- and I don't think it gets any better with teenagers, it just gets more challenging, okay? So, it seems that to be the case with Peter throughout the Gospels. Peter has been following and learning from Jesus for about three years now. Since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Peter is very black and white, literal at times. He often needs to have things spelled out so that he can understand more clearly, and then he often puts his foot in his mouth. It's about six months before Christ's crucifixion, and up to this point, Jesus has been dropping hints in his teachings of his death, burial, and resurrection. Prior to our text, Jesus has just fed the 4,000. Even after Jesus fed the 4,000... The Pharisees and Sadducees are still wanting to test Jesus, demanding some kind of sign from heaven confirming Jesus' identity. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 2 through 4, "...when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning, today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast." You know how to interpret the presence of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and an adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus asks and the disciples leave and by boat across the lake. This sign of Jonah sounds a little bit out of place, but it's referring to Jonah spending the three days in the belly of the whale. The sign that they will eventually see will be that, like Jonah, when Jesus is raised from the dead after being in the tomb for three days. This is another one of those hints or clues Jesus puts out there about his death, burial, and resurrection. As they set off, the disciples realize they forgot to take bread along with them, and Jesus warns the disciples to guard themselves against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The disciples are worried about food, but Jesus is still talking about teaching. The disciples don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus reminds them of how he had fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and how he had just fed the 4,000 with seven loaves and two fish. But Jesus isn't talking about yeast in bread. He is warning the disciples of the yeast that was the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how dangerous and how quickly their teaching can spread amongst the people. All of this goes back to the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanting Jesus to prove himself by calling down some sign from heaven. When they reached the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? This is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to get Jesus to reveal. The disciples fumble a bit, saying some some say he's John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or a prophet. But Jesus stops them and asks them directly, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? Peter steps up and he hits the home run. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The very words we all say right before we step into the waters of baptism. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And do you take him to be your Lord and Savior? To which we answer, I do. Verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. There's Jonah again. For this was not revealed to you by man, But by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What Jesus is revealing to Peter is who he is about to become. And what he will do for his kingdom. But Jesus ends with telling his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. This is not the first time Jesus has instructed his listeners not to tell, reveal his identity. This is significant because of the timing of the events that are about to come. If word gets out that Jesus is of Jesus' true identity, then things could get ugly and fast. Let's look ahead in the timeline a little bit to the trials before Christ's crucifixion. Jesus is crucified for being the Messiah, the King of the Jews. This was blasphemous and punishable to to death. But now that the disciples understand who Jesus really is, Jesus must go on to explain what will happen to him when he returns to Jerusalem. And from this moment on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus begins to openly speak to his disciples about what is going to happen When he goes back to Jerusalem, Peter takes Jesus aside and and begins to rebuke Jesus by saying, Lord, never, this shall never happen to you. I won't let it. To which Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. In seven short verses, Peter has been called the rock to which the church is going to be built on and Satan seven verses later. I remember having memorized this passage when I was in Bible college at Ozark. A friend of mine stayed up late cramming these, this passage, I think it was all of Matthew 16, cramming these verses into our memory To where, and then 12 hours later we were in class and we had to write it down word for word and we were done. And as soon as we were done, Aaron and I were getting in the car and we were coming back to Iowa for who knows what, doesn't even matter, but, you know, usually our trips would start off with, you know, arguing, bickering about something silly, stupid. To which I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Guys, never say that to your spouse. It won't end well. <laughs> 23 years later, I'm still living it down. <laughs> Don't go there. Don't. Jesus refers to his chosen one as Satan. Satan. Because Peter is attempting to interfere with God's plan. At this point in Jesus' ministry, Peter is thinking more of his friend than the purpose of this sacrifice. I don't think Peter fully understands the sacrifice that Jesus will make and how his death will change man's relationship with God. Let's jump ahead in the Gospels to Matthew 26 where the disciples are gathering in the upper room for the Last Supper. Jesus tells Peter that he will deny him three times before the cock crows. Peter adamantly replies, Lord, I will never deny you. They go out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus is arrested. Peter follows at a distance watching the illegal trials, the beatings happening to Jesus. And as he follows at a distance, people begin to recognize Peter in the crowd. And... and 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 ask if they know him. And Peter denies Christ three times before that cock crowed. Jesus is beaten, flogged, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, has appeared to the disciples a couple of times, but has yet to acknowledge Peter. In, chapter one of John, in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, we find Peter and some of the disciples decide to go fishing one night. They end up catching nothing early the next morning. This man on shore asks if they had caught anything yet. They respond, no. And the man suggests throw their nets on the other side of the boat. They're like, oh yeah, right. We'll just, fine, whatever. Drop the nets over and then immediately their nets fill up with fish. And then they recognized who that man on the shore was. It's Jesus. It sounds familiar to when Peter met Jesus the first time. Jesus asks Peter to get in his boat and shove off shore a little bit so Jesus can teach. And after Jesus is done, he tells Peter, drop your nets over. And immediately the nets are full. Immediately, Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore, leaving the others behind to pull the nets in themselves. When they arrive back on shore, Jesus invites them to breakfast. And this is where the conversation begins in verse 15 of John 21. The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate this, the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter has denied Christ three times. You can't do much worse. And Peter knows it. And yet Jesus asks a simple question do you love me? Maybe Jesus asked three times because Peter denied Christ three times. Jesus knows Peter's love and devotion to him. What Peter, is, what Peter has to do is get over it, over himself and over his guilt. Why do you think he is back in the boat fishing? Because Peter doesn't feel worthy to be called a follower, much less a disciple. Did you notice near the end of the video, Jesus said, Who? Go and tell the disciples and Peter. This is quoted from Mark 16, verse 7. And it's not artistic license from the skit. They were telling the story of the events that happened that day when the angels appeared to the women at the tomb. Why was Peter set apart? Probably because Peter had removed himself from the fellowship of the disciples. And more than likely, Peter was still beating himself up about it. Wouldn't you? Oftentimes we are our own worst enemy. Jesus needs to get Peter back in the game because Peter will soon be the leader of the church. The church looks to in the upcoming days, weeks, months, and even years. It is Peter, who will preach in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 will believe and become followers of Christ. Remember what Jesus tells Peter about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? It is to Peter, Jesus says, "On this rock, I will build my church." And in the next verse gives him the keys of the kingdom to Peter. But why does Jesus refer to lambs and sheep in response to Peter's answers? Because Peter and the other disciples, Paul and anyone in any form of Christian leadership from a minister to an elder to a youth group leader and to those of us who lead worship each week are shepherds. Anyone who serves in any role of leadership are looked to as a shepherd of this flock we call the church. I believe the main lesson we can take home in the life of Peter is that Jesus doesn't beat Peter over his head and hold his mistakes against him. He politely says, Get back up, dust yourself off, and get back in the game. The same can be said about each of us. We all screw up, we all make mistakes. The question is, what are you going to do about it? It's all about grace. A grace that has been shown over and over and over again. A grace that Jesus extends to Peter again and again. A grace that continues to be extended to each of us. Again. 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 And again. However, just because grace is continuously extended to everyone, we need to be certain not to abuse it. Paul writes in Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is teaching here that just because we have been saved by grace doesn't mean we ought to continue to sin so that we can receive more grace. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are baptized. We die to our sins of the past, present, and future. It doesn't mean that we come to church, do our time, be somehow cleansed again of our sins because we have come to church, and then walk out those doors living a life as if we never knew Christ. If that's the case, then we are no better than Peter. Does that mean we can never sin again? No. It means we ought to know and do what is right. We are going to stumble and fall. We are going to fall into temptation. but if we return to Christ with a repentant heart, First John, verse chapter one and nine through 10 says, "If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness." If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words has no place in our lives. There are and will be days when we royally screw up, but there is hope to be found, forgiveness to be given and grace to be received. I love Peter. I can relate with Peter in more ways than I care to admit, mainly about putting my foot in my mouth. Most of us can understand Peter's love and dedication to Jesus and then to turn around and fall flat on our face with some brain-dead mistake. All of us go through highs and lows in life and in ministry. When we are on those highs, we feel as if we can do no wrong and life can't get any better. And before we know it, we have fallen flat on our faces with the wind knocked out of our sails, thinking, why would God want to use a screw-up like me? God can use anyone he wants, however he sees fit. If we have confessed Christ as Peter did, he'll use us. We just have to be willing Oftentimes, we are our own worst enemies, not able to forgive ourselves, when in the end, we are only called to be faithful and obedient. Are we to go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are to learn from those mistakes and keep moving forward, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you have chosen us, that you have forgiven us when we are at our worst, and we often just keep beating ourselves up. Lord, I pray that you would move us, encourage us, comfort us, pick us back up, dust us off, And get us back in the game. We're doing no good on the bench. Put me in, coach. Lord, I pray that you would help us to forgive ourselves. And that we will continue to keep our eyes fixed on you. Every step we take with every person we encounter. And that we can reflect who you are in our lives in all situations. Not when it's just convenient. Help us, use us, and continue to mold us. It's these things that we pray you pray. In your name, amen.